long. It's so good to, to have y'all back here leading us in worship again. Um, I'll try to turn around and talk to y'all every now and again. How about that? If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open to Luke chapter 8. Continue our study there in this gospel that we've been in for, for several months now. Um, I hope that, that the stories are, are varied enough and there's enough material here that we're not getting bogged down in it yet. I, feel, I don't feel like we are. I hope that you are still tracking along with me. Uh, today we're going to see a story that is very familiar to us. And again, my prayer is that that familiarity wouldn't breed uh, a sense of contempt or a sense of, of, oh, we know this already, so we don't need to hear it again. I hope my prayer is that the Lord will make this fresh and new to us in a way that would truly speak to our hearts. And so we're going to look at verses 22 uh, through 25 this morning. Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. Let's hear God's word together. It says, One day he got into a boat, that is Jesus, with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we come now to this portion of your holy word, we do pray that you would make it live to us. Uh, Father, we can't work that up in ourselves. We can't make this speak to us in a way that is meaningful and in our own selves. We need you. We need you to come now and meet with us. Speak to your people through the, the preaching of your word as you promised to do. And Lord, we cling to that. We need uh, your assurance. We need your conviction. We need to hear from our Savior today. So please be, be, be pleased and kind to, to meet with us, gracious to meet with us in this time. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you were with us uh, two Wednesday nights ago, uh, you'll remember that not only were we treated to some really good breakfast food, and let's be honest, who does not love Brupper, except Abby, I think, doesn't love Brupper. Sorry, Abby. Uh, but Brupper is a wonderful, wonderful thing. You were treated to that, but you were also treated to kind of a recap uh, of our summer youth and children's activities uh, through the slideshow that Ben and Avis put together. And I hope what was evident from those pictures, from the things that you saw there, other than the fact that, that Ben and Avis and probably Harlow need a nap, a really, really long nap, uh, was how good of a time, how good of a summer it really was. You know, whether it was going to the lake, uh, whether it was game nights around the pool, whether it was our mini MVP camp, uh, it really was. Maybe even the lock-in. I don't know. I didn't go. But maybe even the lock-in, it really was a wonderful time with God's people. And Ben and Avis, you need to be commended for that. Harlow, you need to be commended for that. We, we really appreciate everybody who took part in that. But having said every bit of that, as fun as it was, it was also a summer where our plans, they, they really had to change a lot. And y'all know all the things that happened, all the various reasons we didn't get to go to the places uh, that we normally would have gone in the summer. 
And I'll be honest, after two years of that, I'm, I'm starting to miss Bon Clarkin. I'm starting to miss French Camp, Mississippi, if you can believe such a thing could happen. I'm missing 99 degrees in French Camp. And particularly, I am missing some of the activities that, that we usually get to do. Uh, and my favorite things, well, there's a lot of favorite things, but one of my favorite things are the high ropes activities that we get to do. So, you know, the zip lines, uh, getting to, to jump off of things, getting to rappel down walls, rock climb, uh, even getting to, to swing out. That, there's that giant swing that makes you feel like you're just going to go to oblivion and once it catches you and swings you out. I miss all of those things. There, there's something um, just fun, certainly, but there's something exhilarating about those activities. But th- there is also something terrifying about them as well. You know, it doesn't matter how many times I stand on that platform when that person says, hey, all right, just step off, and there's nothing below you except air and ground, and the only thing that's holding you is the harness that I put on myself, which is a problem, I put it on, and this little metal carabiner that's attached to the, to the wire, when that's all you got... You're looking around, and no matter how many times you've been there, you're going, this is crazy. I'm not stepping off of this thing. This is, this is ridiculous. Everything in me, every single time, says, you're about to die. Though I have seen many people make it safely back to the ground, though my, I myself have made it safely back to the ground many times, though I have the assurance of those who are supposedly the experts, yes, this is going to hold you up, Uh, And even though uh, we have all, multiple, multiple times, gone down, I always feel the same standing there in that spot. Now, somebody out there is going, you're crazy. Why why would you put yourself through that? Why would you, if you feel that way, why would you go? And the answer is, I don't really know. Um, It's just, it doesn't make any sense. But here's the thing. Even though I feel this way, How many times has the harness, how many times has the equipment, the assurance of those experts, how many times has it let me down? Well, here I stand before you, sort of in one piece, and so it hadn't let me down yet. Joey, Ben's brother, one time did drop me off the rock wall at at, uh, French camp onto my back, but that's, uh, I'm, I'm okay, I survived. And so clearly the equipment, the people, They have done their job. They have delivered us safely thus far. So the question is, why am I afraid? When I stand there and I look, knowing what is going to happen, why do I fear? Why can I trust in something that has shown itself to be trustworthy, to be faithful over and over and over again? In our passage today, we find the disciples facing, experiencing those same things. As they endure what is quite literally a great storm in their lives. Though they have assurance. Though they have the word of the Savior. Though they have the Savior in the boat with them that day. Their faith, it wavers. And it seems that all they are left with is this desperate plea that I've titled our sermon with, Lord, we are perishing. Everything seems to say, this is it. 
This is the end. And they are completely overwhelmed. Now look, I imagine for many of us, we know what that feels like. We have, at least to some degree or another, walked where the disciples are in that moment. Maybe even now, you feel like all hope is lost. You've tried to keep it together. You've tried to hold things together as tightly as you can. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's just your whole life. But now, now you just feel like you are literally in free fall. And you are crying out like these disciples. Somebody, mainly, Lord, don't you care? Can you not come down and save me from this? All we see is the storm. And it's overwhelming. Well, if so, what I want you to see in this passage is not only does does Jesus care, but in the midst of the storm, he is in the boat. He is there with them. And he has the power to drive away whatever it is that we are facing. He has the power, as Ben said last week, to shelter us in the storm. No matter what may come in our lives, he is greater. And so ultimately, we will not perish Ultimately, we do not have to fear. We can put our faith in the one who will never fail. Now, that's what I want us to think about this morning. So let's look at it together. Now, look, this is a four-point sermon. And I heard the cries from last week after our 42-minute sermon. (laughs) I heard it. And so I made an effort to keep all four of these points short. And effort has to count for something, right? It has to, you know, I I made the effort. I can't guarantee you that's what's going to happen, but I made the effort. So, just stick with me. We'll make it through it, all right? First, in this passage, I want you to see a weary command. A weary command. You see it in verses 22 and 23. As Jesus' ministry has continued to grow, as the crowds have become almost overwhelming to him, And of course, as he continues to march towards the cross, we can be sure that that the pressures on him, uh, the the weight of all that he faces, uh, it has taken its toll. Uh, So much so that here, as he and his disciples make their way across the Sea of Galilee, uh, he sleeps. We see Jesus weary. We see him exhausted. To the point that that when this great storm comes up, even in the midst of it, he continues to rest. And I don't know how many of you have been on the water, whether it's fresh water or salt water, in a storm. But it's not really a place where you want to be. And it's certainly not a place that you want to be asleep in. Uh, When I was in college, at one point my major was fishery science. And we went out to sea for a whole week on a research vessel. And while we were out there one night, we ran into a pretty good storm, and we had some really, really big swells. And this was a good-sized ship, but it was not one that, you know, was not big enough that you weren't going to feel what was going on. And so I can remember clearly laying in my bed, holding on to the rail above my head, and just sliding back and forth, back and forth. I said, this is not for me. I don't want to do this. But sleep was not a possibility. My dad, who, who is a Navy man, he still sleeps holding on to the headboard. He, he learned how to do that over the course of four years. Uh, but it's not a place that, that you can get any rest, seemingly. And so it speaks to how truly weary Jesus must have been 
if he was able to sleep in a wooden boat in raging seas. Now look, this should point us to, to two major things. It probably points us to a lot more than two, but there are two things that I want to point out to you. The first one we've seen over and over again in Luke's gospel, but this is the reason he's writing. You remember what he said to Theophilus? I want you to have assurance. I want you to know for sure who this Jesus is. And so he records this point to show him Jesus is a man. Jesus is weary. He feels the weight of all that that is going on around him. As J.C. Ryle says, he says, He, Jesus, has himself endured weariness and sought rest and sleep. Let us, therefore, pour out our hearts before him with freedom and tell him our least troubles without reserve. He who made atonement for us on the cross is one who can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. To be weary of working for God is sinful, but to be wearied and worn in doing God's work, which is what Jesus is, is no sin at all. Jesus himself was weary, and Jesus slept. Now we'll see in a minute that that he was not only a man, and we know that. He he was both God and man together. Uh, But let that sink in just for now. For the moment, we should stand in awe and in wonder of this Savior asleep in the boat. We should stand in awe and wonder that he would stoop down so low to take on that weakness, to take on that infirmity for us, for you and for I, and for these disciples, he will soon save. Uh, As we so often sing, especially around Christmas time, And all praise to the eternal Lord. All praise to the eternal Lord, clothed in a garb of flesh and blood, choosing a manger for thy throne. In this case, choosing a boat for your bed, while worlds on worlds are thine alone. This this is the Savior that Luke is giving to us, one who knows what it's like to be tired. But there's a second thing that I want you to see here. And it's what J.C. Ryle, it's what Ryle, no, not Ryle, it's what Riken calls the perfect example of Christ. The perfect example of Christ. Not only are we reminded that Jesus needed rest in this story, but we are reminded here of the one he was resting in. I'll say that to you again. Not only did he need rest, but we see here who he is resting in. As these men, these fishermen who knew the sea, as they absolutely lose their minds because things are going completely wrong, Christ can sleep, not just because he is overwhelmingly tired, but because he is perfectly and confidently content in the love of the Father. Yes, Jesus has the power and he will calm this storm, but he can lay down and rest. For a moment, he does not, in his, in his humanity, he does not have to be the responsible party because he knows that his father is in control, that he is going to take care of him just as he has taken care of him throughout his life. He can rest in God. It makes you think of that Psalm, uh, Psalm chapter 3. We talked about this with the kids this morning, but you remember David there is fleeing from Absalom, and he's talking about all the enemies that are surrounding him. But then he remembers that God is his shield. God is his protector. And so he says, I lay down and I rest. I sleep 
Because you, Lord, you won't, you won't desert me. Even though thousands of enemies are at my door, you will not fail. And so he, he lays down and he sleeps. Jesus does the same thing here. He's resting contentedly in the Father. Again, as, as one commentator puts it, he says, Jesus modeled for them the tranquility of, perp- of perfect trust. He went to sleep in the shalom of God. It was not that he overlooked the gale warnings and the weather reports, nor that he was such a landlubber that he did not grasp the perilous vulnerability of being out on sea in an open boat. It was rather that he knew God was in control, and he was willing to rely on that knowledge. Absolutely. Friends, what a, what a wonderful example this is. How the disciples missed this as they saw Jesus asleep in the boat. How often we miss this truth. We can rest in him. And we're going to see that as we continue on. So we've seen a weary command. But secondly, I want you to see a desperate plea. A desperate plea. Again, as Jesus rests, these disciples, they're busy doing the work of navigating, of guiding the boat that they're in. And of course, as they do, this great storm, this wind prevails on them. And look, we've said that these are men who were fishermen by trade. Uh, These are men who were familiar with the sea. They knew what to do when things got out of hand. They knew what to do when things got chaotic. And so again, it speaks to how great this storm must have truly been that we find them in a panic. Now these men in this moment... All of their effort, all of their work, nothing what was satisfying, nothing was doing what, what they needed it to do. They couldn't get the water out of the boat. It seemed that the boat was going to fall apart. And so you can hear the, the desperateness in their plea there uh, in verse 24. They say, Master, Master, we are perishing. Again, uh, we've said this, but I think most of us can, can relate to that plea. We, we understand what it is that they're saying in that moment. Life is overwhelming to the point that all we can see often are the, the winds and the waves. Often we feel as if it is going to swallow us up or as if the boat is going to break apart. And we are left with this same desperate cry, Lord, save us. We are But what we need to see, at least in part here, is that what the disciples do, they get a lot wrong, but what they do, at least in part, is the right thing. They flee to Jesus, right? They they go to the back of the boat, and even though he's asleep, they say, Lord, help us. Now, we understand, especially from Mark's gospel, that, that when they get there, they're not there with the right tone, right? You remember what they say in Mark's gospel, Uh, They say, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care? Look, these men had seen how much the Lord cared. They had seen his works, his mighty salvation. They had experienced these things. And so it was clear to them that, yes, he really did care. But in that moment, they can no longer see it. And so the problem is not that they run to Jesus, but the problem is that they run to Jesus And their faith is gone. Their faith has wavered. And so we see a weary command, a desperate plea. But thirdly, I want you to see this probing rebuke. This probing rebuke. You see it there uh, in verse uh, 25. 
Jesus looks at them, and, and the order of this in the Gospels is a little bit different. Here he says it after he calms the waves, and others he says it before, but the, the question is the same. He says, where is your faith? On the one hand, we could say, well, Lord, it's out here with this storm. It's out here with the wind and the waves. Can you not see what's happening? But the point that, that Jesus is making is that they have forgotten who it is that's in the boat with them, right? Yes, the waves are out there. Yes, the, the storm is raging, but they have forgotten that Jesus, he, he is greater that Jesus, he is more powerful than any storm because he controls them all. Again, they should know this fact. Who else could heal the way he has? Who else could teach the way he has? Who else could save the way he has? No one. But they have forgotten. And so in his grace, Jesus once again he proves to them the reality of who he is. And again, remember, that's Luke's point. That's, that's what Luke is trying to show. This, this Jesus, this is who he is. He's, he's the man asleep in the boat, but he's also the God in the flesh who speaks a word and calms the storm. We sing, one little word shall fail him, right? Here we see the, the reality of that. So he speaks to the winds and the waves, and they cease. It says there, it says, he spoke and they ceased, and there was a great calm. Friends, how convicting, how encouraging these words are to us. Both at the same time. On the one hand, we have to ask ourselves, just as these disciples surely were asking themselves now, why were we afraid? Why, why are we ever afraid? Why do we let the worries of this world so overwhelm us that we lose sight of our Savior? Why do we get so caught up in the storms of life that we forget He is in the boat, that He is near, that He is with us with the power and the strength and the faithfulness to deliver us over and over and over again? Why do we forget how He has done that? Again, my example uh, with the, the zip line. It's delivered me safe every time. Why do I forget that when I'm standing looking at the ground? Why do we do that with God? He, he has delivered us faithfully. How convicting. At the same time, on the other hand, this is such an encouragement to us, isn't it? He is in the boat. He is with us. He has promised to never leave us. He has promised to never forsake us. Even to the end of the age, He is ours and we are His. What have we to fear? What have we to stress over when he who commands the winds and the waves, when he who created all things is on our side? That's what Paul says in Romans 8, right? He says, he's, well, look, we'll just flip over there. In Romans 8, he says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? We're going to come back to that passage, so leave your finger there. But if God be for us, who can be against us? The answer is no one. Nothing, and that's eventually what he gets to. Nothing should move us. With a word, our God, he can end the storm. At his word, there is a great calm. And honestly, after I already, was already through the whole sermon, after I'd already given my title today, and I said, that's what I should have named the sermon. 
a great calm. Because, friends, that's what he promises us. That's what he gives us when we are resting only in him, in the chaos of this world, in the uncertainty of this world. He offers a perfect, calm assurance. Now, look, does that mean that, that he will always drive the storms from our lives? You know and I know that he doesn't do that. Many of you are experiencing that now. But, but the beauty of knowing that he is in the boat with us, the, the beauty of knowing that, that he can, is all-powerful, that he can do all things, is that even as the storm rages, even if it lasts a lifetime, when he is with us, we can endure because he is greater and he who is with us will never allow us to fully sink. And so again, as we so often sing together, when darkness veils his lovely face, I rest, what, in his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil, right? On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground, it's sinking sand. And why do we fear? Why are we afraid? He who is with us is greater than anything we may face. Well, we've seen a weary command, a desperate plea, a probing rebuke, and then fourthly and finally, I want you to see an important question. An important question. You see it there at the end of verse 25. It says, after he said, where's your faith? They were afraid and they marveled, fear the beginning of wisdom. They marveled, they bowed down, and they worshipped in awe, right? They saw him. They really saw him. They worshipped him. And then they asked this question. Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? Friends, this is the question. And the answer to it is what we need to be reminded of over and over and over again. If we are going to stand in a world that that is full of devils, that is full of trials and tribulations, that is full of mighty and great storms, we need to be reminded, who is this one who commands the winds? Who is this one who is all-powerful? Who is this one that slept In the bow of that boat, friends, he is the king. Not only is he the king, but he is the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. In him, we are not afraid because in him, we are never alone. In him, even our greatest enemies, sin, Satan, and death, fear. We're not afraid of those things. That's what Paul, that's the conclusion that he comes to in Romans 8, right? He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And listen to verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And then he goes into it. What can separate us from the love of Christ? Friends, the point is, is that if he was willing to do that, if that king, that redeemer was willing to die in our place, then surely he can care for us as the waves come. Surely he can care for us even in the greatest of storms. And so I ask you today, just as Jesus rested in the Father, 
in the midst of the storm? Are you today trusting and looking to Christ by faith? I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what storm you are facing today. But friends, let me assure you, if you are looking to Jesus, he is with you. And he will see you through. It it may be seeing you through to his presence, seeing him face to face. But friends, surely he will do it. He will get you safely home. Let's pray together. Father, as we consider that great and wonderful promise, that no no matter what may come in this life, that you will never desert us, you will never let us fall away completely. Father, we, we do praise you. We, like the disciples, stand in awe and in wonder of who you are, this mighty, powerful God who controls the winds and the waves, and who controls our life, who has even given himself to defeat our greatest enemies, sin and Satan and death. And so, Lord, we, we bow. Uh, we, we pray that you would give us courage. Lord, the truth is, is our hearts, that they wander, they are fickle, uh, they, they are prone to see the things that are most immediate to us, and often that is the pain and the hurt and the scary things of life. And so we are prone to, to be like the disciples more than we would care to admit. And so we need you to remind us over and over and over again of who you are. We need to be in your word. We need to be with your people. We need to be where you are so that we might be reminded you are good. You are powerful. You will never let us fall. Lord, give us that reminder today. Lord, if there are those here who are in the storms of life, I pray your sweet protection for them. I pray even more than that, your your peace, your comfort might go with them even now as they see this Jesus who calms the wind, who calms the storms. It's in his name we pray. Amen.